Thank you for listening to this podcast from Renew San Diego, a church for the good of all our neighbors in North Park, San Diego. If you're ever in the area on Sunday mornings, we'd love to welcome you. More information at renewsandiego.org. Share with a friend. See you soon. Our scripture reading this morning is from Genesis chapter 12. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, And Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Abram took his wife, Sarai, and his brother's son, Lot, and all the possessions that they had gathered, and the persons whom they had acquired in Haran, and they set forth to go to the land of Canaan. When they had come to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Morah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord, who had appeared to him. From there he moved on to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and invoked the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on by stages toward the Negev. Friends, the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please take a few moments for silent reflection. Gracious God, even now, as we gather in this place, from many different backgrounds and perspectives, different experiences throughout the week, different uh, views of what the next week might bring, hopeful, fearful, joyful, sad, in great relationship with others and connected, lonely, depressed, angry. Lord, we come into this moment so diverse in our backgrounds and yet so similar. In fact, we have far more in common than we realize. Help us to see that you see us in all our complexity. You see us in all our contradiction in all the ways we get it, in all the ways we don't get it, you know us. And your response is to move toward us, to give yourself to us in sacrificial, self-giving love in the person and work of your son, Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, we ask now that you would do perhaps the most difficult thing of all, that you would break the ice around our hearts with the warmth of your love, that you would fill our minds that are confused with your truth, that you would redirect our lives in pathways that lead to wholeness and health and flourishing for us and for all around us. Is what we're asking now is that you would teach us by the power of your Holy Spirit in a way our lives would be changed. Animate us, enliven us, fill us with your presence and send us out to be agents of your renewal wherever we go. We pray all these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. A few weeks ago, I mentioned this swimming group that I'm a part of on Wednesdays and Fridays, and it's a bunch of old folks that swim. They still swim a mile a day 
in the La Jolla Cove. They're 70 years old. They're 80 years old. We just celebrated Jack's 83rd birthday on Friday, and he swam a mile that day. Um, this is an incredible group of people, and I told you about how I'm a little slow putting things together. I've been swimming with this group, and I realized they're all retired Navy SEALs and old business folks that have been cross-country runners forever. And if you go and you read the history of the triathlon, you realize it was formed, it started in San Diego in the early 1970s among a bunch of business folks that were cross-country runners and a bunch of Navy SEALs. And I put it all together and said, hey, were any of you around when triathlon was started? Like, how did that happen? Who was it? And I thought they were going to tell me a story about some people that have long since moved on. And they go, oh, yeah. Um, well, Bruce thought that he was faster than Tony. And Tony said, let's do it. And so Dick got involved. And they told me the story of how they did the first triathlon. It was them who started the whole thing. Um, I got, it was a creation story. It was, a, it was a, a genesis narrative of how things started. And in a way, we come to this passage today where Christians, Jews, and Muslims who gather to worship in churches, synagogues, and mosques around the world this week will all point to this passage as the, the Genesis narrative, as all of them look at Abram as the father of faith. This is foundational. In fact, as we mentioned last week, the word Genesis itself comes from a Hebrew word that means a seed pod. A seed pod, the very beginning of life. This is, this is a book that is designed to tell us about beginnings. It's not so concerned with telling us uh, the how of everything. It wants to tell us why. Why is the, wor the world the way that it is? What is God doing about it? What does it look like to be people of faith who are more and more becoming formed in the image and likeness of God? And today we have Abram. Later on he will become Abraham as he continues to journey with God and he becomes renamed. And names are significant. Abram means father. Abraham means father of many. So maybe we could say Abram is daddy, and Abraham is big daddy. He's going to go on and on, but right now, we see he lives a big life. He's a man of vision. He's a man on a journey. He's a man of strength, and he's a man of weakness. He's a person of contradiction. What makes Abraham's life so great? It's not his perseverance. It's not his ability to pull himself up by his own bootstraps. What makes Abraham so great is not his morality or his impeccable record of always getting it right. What makes his life so great is the call of God. That God steps in again and again and calls him to follow him, to walk with him, to trust him. The call of God. It's a great moment to ask ourselves, what makes your life distinct? What makes your life special? What call defines your life? I wonder, if you were to write it down this morning, what call in your life defines you? Where do you find direction? What do you do when life seems to go off course? This passage shows us the call of Abram the foundation of the faith. What later the Apostle Paul, the early church planter, uh, one of the most influential people in the church, will call this passage the gospel in advance. The key to a thriving life with impact and growth, not only for yourself, but for the world around you. And it's all centered on this calling. It's a one-word calling. Go. Go. So let's look at this calling to go and see that first it's a pathway for your growth, 
by giving yourself away to others. Let's take a look at how it's both scary and gracious at the same time. And finally, it's both impossible and the most secure place you can be. First, it's the pathway to your growth by giving yourself away to others. There's a dynamic tension here where God says, I will make you a great nation. I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. In you, all the families on earth shall be blessed. You have to see that this is revolutionary. This was unheard of. In Abram's culture, a tribal culture, many cultures around the world today operate by a tribal culture, and in that culture, you always look out for your own. You look out for yourself first. You look out for your brothers and sisters first. You look out for your aunts and uncles first. Everybody was part of a tribe, and the tribe would have a father who would give protection and order and direction. They would line up in patriarchal tribes, and some of them were more or less settled. Some of them had more or fewer possessions. Some of them had more or less land and wealth. Some of them had more or fewer armies. Some of them had more or less conflict. But your identity would be solely defined by the tribe of which you're a part And in this tribal culture, God calls Abram to be the father of an entirely different tribe from all others. A higher purpose than his own wealth, his own preservation, his own well-being. This tribe will exist to bless and benefit all other people. It's significant that God's call is for the benefit of of everybody. However Abram is tempted to draw the lines of insiders and outsiders, part of his family or not part of his family, part of his culture, not part of his culture, us and them, and God says, it's all us. That with God there are no insiders and outsiders because he is instituting a new tribe where everybody is family. All people all people who don't believe, all people who make you uncomfortable. God's intentions are to bless everybody. Friends, does that surprise you? I mean, what would it look like if you could pull people up and down 30th Street and go, hey, we're part of this church startup to be a blessing to all our neighbors. Like, what's your experience with Christians so far? Are they the ones that exist for the good of all their neighbors? I think you're gonna get a low reporting on that one. We forget it. We develop spiritual amnesia because there's gravity to always cocooning with people just like you. Thousands of years later, Jesus Christ will come on the scene and he will remind this very people, the people of God, of their original mission and calling. And he'll say, this is your story. And they don't get it. Because tribes naturally have a tendency to cocoon and have gravity just with people like us. And it's no different today. In this passage is as relevant or more as we invest and investigate our calling to be a whole new family that's for the good of all others. Look at our news feeds today as you see our own tribe above all others sort of mentality that is the root of war. It's the root of conflict. It's the root of racism and ethnic cleansing and much of the suffering in this world. 
we need to hear this calling. Maybe this is one of the gifts the people of God can give to a watching and waiting world. And when you live into this calling to go to others, not only is it part of your own healing and wholeness, not only is it part of the renewing of the world, it also is a sign to the watching world that God is who he says that he is, a God who's renewing all things. One of the prominent columnists in the New York Times, Nick Kristoff, wrote years ago uh, about uh, how he's not a particularly religious person, but he had an observation about Christians that was fascinating. He wrote in the New York Times, in reporting on poverty, disease, and oppression, I have seen so many things. He said, Christians are disproportionately likely to donate 10% of their incomes to charities, mostly church-related. More important, go to the front lines at home or abroad in the battles against hunger, malaria, prison rape, obstetric fistula, human trafficking, or genocide. And some of the bravest people you will meet are Christians who truly live their faith. And then he goes on to comment, I'm not particularly religious myself, but I stand in awe of those I've seen risking their lives in this way. And it sickens me to see that faith mocked at New York cocktail parties. In a culture where it's easy to throw stones at Christianity or at the church, we've gotten plenty wrong. When we actually live into our calling, the watching world goes, I like what I see. That's part of the reason we're starting this church is when we were in the Mission District of San Francisco, we had friends from San Diego come visit us and they'd say, I don't go to church, but if this church was in San Diego, I'd be a part of it. And when I dug a little deeper and asked why, one of the reasons was to see a church that not only preaches good news, but lives it out is attractive. We see that in our own neighborhood in this past week. Uh, when we were doing our Know Your Neighbor event and I was doing the shopping for it, I'm over at the grocery store walking out early on a Saturday morning and I've got all this food for the barbecue and this lady who's walking in, young lady, she goes, hey, is there a party going on in the neighborhood? And I said, actually there is and you're invited. She said, tell me more. I said, well, every first Saturday of the month we throw this kind of block party for all our neighbors, for all our homeless neighbors, our neighbors with homes and there's food and there's live music and there's joy and there's connection and why don't you just come check it out? And she goes, and you're a pastor? <laughs> and I said, yeah. And she goes, I don't know about church. Last time I was in church, it went really bad. I haven't, I haven't gone back since. I said, you don't have to come on Sunday morning. Come on Saturday morning. And so she comes. And she has a great time. And she goes, maybe uh, I don't believe in coincidences. And God is showing me a church that's actually at work in this neighborhood to show me that God's still at work in my life and in this world. And I get to have lunch with her this week. When you live out the calling, it is, it's a sign to the, it's show and tell with the gospel where you are showing a God who's not left this world to its own devices but invests deeply into it. You are blessed to be a blessing. This is for you and for all families. Now there's dynamic tension here, like I said. What's dynamic tension? I'll, I'll use an illustration. Um, I injured my ankle badly in a game of basketball years ago, and I had physical therapy. And in the physical therapy, they introduced me to this thing called the TheraBand. And the TheraBand is this elastic band that you push against with your foot or whatever part needs to be strengthened, and it's in the tension that you actually are strengthened. It's through the tension that you're actually healed. And so there's tension here where on one hand, it's I will bless you. And go through you, all the nations will be blessed. If you only have one or the other, there's no tension. There's no growth. 
For example, if all you hear and hold on to is God's promise, I will bless you, you will be tempted to use God for your own devices. You will be tempted to become a consumer of the goods that God can give you. You will seek comfort at all costs. You will become spiritually out of shape. You'll become selfish and myopic, just looking at your own particular life. What can you get out of God? And there's no growth. On the other hand, if all you hear is go, pour yourself out on behalf of others, you will become exhausted. You will think it all depends on you, and when it doesn't go well, you will become lost and bitter and cynical. And when it does go well, your ego will become inflated, and you'll be triumphant and self-congratulating. But hear the dynamic tension. I will bless you. Go and pour yourself out on behalf of others. And it's in both the receiving and the giving that you get the tension where growth and maturity and depth take place. You begin to pray prayers of healthy desperation as you're praying for God not only to fill your life, but now you're pouring yourself out on behalf of others, coming to the end of your resources, seeing people with needs that you could not possibly meet on your own, and you're saying, God, where are you? I need you to show up. You're reading scriptures with a new depth and a new urgency because you are sharing the good news that God has given you with others and they're saying, oh yeah, but what about this part of the Bible that I've read that I can't stand? And you have to say, man, I haven't thought about that for a long time. And you're going back and reading your Bible with a new urgency, coming to the community group and going, hey, this is the question that I'm wrestling with this week, scheduling meetings with your pastor to go, can we go through this more deeply? And you are growing in Christian maturity and discipleship. You get to know God on this journey. This is why we say Renew Church is a missional church. It's a church that exists not just for ourselves. It's a church that exists for the other and for the city and for the world. And it exists for your own good. That's why every week we have ways we're serving our neighbors and ways that you can deepen and grow as we grow together. And so there's a question here. It asks you, as you're called to go, who are you moving toward? What does it mean for God to bless you with your particular life circumstances, your particular education, your particular friendship group, your particular passions or hobbies or pastimes? And there's a woman in our church who's an educator and... Uh, she volunteers in the schools. And through volunteering in the schools, she noticed there was a kindergartner in, this, in our kid's school. And I'm just going to tell you, it's Florence. I'm, you know, here's Florence. Florence doesn't, but Florence doesn't toot her own horn. I'll toot her own horn. She's gone today. She's in San Francisco helping a friend. Um, so when she's gone, we tell stories about Flo. It's great. It's a sign of a very healthy marriage. I'm sure she'll love it. Um, but Florence volunteers in the school. And there's a kindergartner in the school who has endured secondhand burns on most of his body, and he can't go to school right now. He has to remain without any clothing on at home while he heals. And the mom's overwhelmed, so Florence starts to bring food for the family and finds out this child's not going to be in school for a long time. And Florence is a kindergarten teacher. She said, can I come in and be his teacher during the week? So she brings in all of her materials, and this kid gets to have school. Now, that's something Florence can do that I could never do, but that's her particular passion talent, ability. What's yours? 
Um, I think about, you know, I talk about Kimo, uh, who, who plays amazing percussion here. He plays music throughout the week. And as soon as he found out about the Know Your Neighbor events on Saturday morning, he's like, I want to be the chairman of the music program there. And he brings in musicians from all around the city on our Know Your Neighbor events to bring joy and beauty to folks who really don't have a lot of joy and beauty in their lives. Because that's his passion and his talent. Some of you can cook. Some of you have an extra hour per week. Some of you get along with children really well. Some of you are just outgoing and you can make friends at the gym or at the office. Some of you are deep thinkers. But using your particular passion and talent, what does it look like to go? Now, let's just admit it right here. If that feels heavy, it should. Because it is scary. God's calling is scary and gracious at the same time. God says, go to the land. Go where? I'll show you on the way. (laughs) Thanks a lot. Uh, Go to the land that is unknown. Go to the land that's outside your comfort zone. In Abram's culture, where wealth and security were completely bound to your family and your tribe and your land, God says, leave your family and your tribe and your land. And I'll show you. Trust me. Friends, you will never follow God in this calling unless you can trust him as he shows himself to be trustworthy to you. What does it mean for you to go? To be a Christian is someone who is having your mentality changed, and so now, as you're doing the calculations of life, you're not simply making decisions based on what's most comfortable or convenient for you. What job gives you the most security and status? But the calling of God reshapes as you ask, where can I be a blessing? What might God be calling me into? What might God be calling me out of? Now, on one hand, friends, I just want to say, by virtue of being a part of a church plant, um, you're already stepping into the calling to go. So I want to congratulate you. I want to thank you. uh, And I want to acknowledge that we meet God as we go on this journey together. I was talking to another friend who's an, I I would call it a, a spiritual entrepreneur. He's starting a big ministry in Louisiana. And he's like, it's just hard work being the seed this, is, this church plant is a seed in the ground that will one day grow into a big tree that will give life to many, but right now it's a seed, and it's hard being the seed. But it's part of going. And so every time you welcome someone, every time you care for a child, every piece that you set up and tear down, every place, every chance that you have to serve other neighbors, all of this is part of going. But how are you called to go in your career, in your vocation? How are you called to go in your relationships, in your family? How are you called to go in the school system? Or maybe for some of you right now, the calling to go is actually the invitation for you to get help that you need so you can be in a healthy place to care for others. Maybe your calling is to get into a good therapy, uh, to get into a 12-step program of recovery to allow God to do work on you so that you can be in a place to care for others. But God says, get out there. Go into the country, I will show you. See, we want to know what it's going to look like, but God does not give Google Map coordinates. God does not give a photo and say, this is where I'm taking you. God says, you can trust me along the way. So, friends, if you're investigating Christianity, you're thinking of becoming a Christian, I understand we're tempted to say things like, but will I need to break up with my boyfriend or girlfriend? 
um, if I become a Christian, will I need to give more of my money away? If I become a Christian, uh, will I have to stop doing this? Will I have to start doing that? And what I've found is that when we say, show me exactly where God is taking me, and if I like it, then I'll go, you will never meet the God of the Bible. Because in that scenario, you become God. You become the all-powerful shot caller. You're not answering the call of God. You're staying in control of your own life. There's a part of this that's scary. So how do you get the courage to do this? I think there's a clue right here. And the answer is you remember. Remember I said you will never give your life to God. You will never go out unless you know that you can trust that God's calling is good, that God is for you and not against you. Twice in this passage, in verse 7 and 8, it says that Abram built an altar. And many scholars and theologians, and I would include myself in thinking this way, uh, conclude that often the people of God, when they were in the wilderness, would build altars so that they could remember. And God met them in this place, and they built an altar. And they moved on. And God met them in this place, and they built an altar. And often they would name it. This is the place where God provided bread. This is the place where God reminded us that he won't leave us. And I think they provided the altar so that next time they came around and they saw it, and they weren't feeling the presence of God, they could say, but do you remember what God did when we built this altar? They remember. And so to be a Christian is often to remind yourself of what God has done in your life in the past. As he calls you into the next chapter, you can't see beyond the horizon. You can't see around the corner. And you begin to counsel yourself. And you remember, this is how God has provided for me in the past. This is how God cared for me back then. I remember that time when I could not see the future and yet God was in it. I can only see it looking backward and yet he was there. And then you preach the gospel to your own heart. And you say, the same God that met me there will meet me here. The same God that cared for me then will care for me here and I can trust him and I can move forward. Maybe this is why in Matthew chapter 28, Jesus, after being crucified, risen from the dead, shows his followers in his resurrected state and says, all power and authority has been given to me. Therefore, go and remember, I will be with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. Friends, this is how you get the courage to go. And it's a gracious journey. I am so grateful that Scripture does not give a picture of anybody. There is no character in all of Scripture that gets it all the time, except Jesus. Abraham, Abram is the same. It says right here, and he journeyed on in stages. In Stages. The process of receiving and giving, of being blessed to be a blessing, is a process. Abraham, the father of the faith, in this moment is a hero. Go home and read the rest of Genesis 12 today, either in your Bible, Google it online. By the end of the chapter, Abram, who has been promised that he has been blessed to be a blessing, is now going, good for him, He's moving through Egypt with his wife, Sarai. Pharaoh sees Sarai and thinks that she's a good-looking woman and wants to sleep with her. And big, bold, brave Abram says, she's actually not my wife, she's my sister, you can have her. By the end of the chapter, he is prostituting his wife to save his own life. And what does God do? He meets him there. 
He says, I know your weakness. I'm not abandoning you. I'm not forsaking you. What you've done is not good, and yet I will redeem even this very moment in your life. He journeyed on in stages. This is what the Christian life looks like often. Two steps forward and one step backward. The danger is when that inner critic comes in and tells you, oh, you're taking a step backward. I guess you're never going to get it. Friends, next time that inner critic comes and wants to discourage you, say, no, I'm in good company with all the saints that have gone before me. People who step forward and step backward, but God is with it in all of it. In stages. It means you can be patient with yourself. But it also means you get to be intentional about your own faith life and journey and growth because you're journeying in stages. And so one of the questions you ask is, what stage are you in right now in your own life with God? What would it look like to take the next step? Does it mean to join the community group that meets in my home on Thursday nights and ask questions and commit to other people? Does it mean to join in the prayer group on Wednesday, Wednesday uh, noons? Does it mean just to commit to being here on Sundays, every Sunday instead of one Sunday per month? Does it mean scheduling a coffee meeting with me to say, Matt, I don't know what my next step is, but I know that I want to grow. Let's figure this out together. But do not settle for stagnating. As God is saying, go and I will be with you. Now look, this is both impossible and it's the most secure place you can possibly be. How do you live this big life? The answer is, you can't. See, Abram has been promised all these descendants, and he's waiting for, because one day he will have a son named Isaac. Isaac will have Jacob. Jacob will be called Israel. This is the father of the faith. And yet, Abram cannot make any of that happen on his own. God has to break through. God has to make a way. And one day, a descendant who will come much later, Jesus Christ, the Word made flesh, Son of God and Son of Man, the one who ultimately left his father's house, the one who ultimately divested himself of all power and authority, the one who God himself says, go because I go toward you. Give because I give myself to you. Trust me because I trust the Father even as I pour myself out on behalf of all humanity. You can trust me. I'm for you. And so we have access. We have welcome to the Father. Even as we wander through the land, we are never lost because he's with us. Even as we give ourselves away, he fills us. And when you see what he's done for you, answering the original calling to go, you say, I can trust him. I don't know what God's doing in my life right now. I don't know how this particular next chapter is going to work out. But what I do know is he is ultimately and intimately invested in caring for me, even to the point of giving his own life. And so you can trust him. You're able to move out into the world to grow and to thrive and to trust by giving your life away. And so friends, you know what this means? It means the Christian life of maturity, if you were to put it on a graph, is not upward and to the right. It means it's cruciform. It's cross-shaped. It looks like dying and rising again. It means the Christian life is Eucharistic. It's shaped in this table that we remember and participate in every Sunday as this bread is taken and blessed and broken and given to you. Your life is taken and blessed and broken and given to this world. 
as you become an outpost of the resurrection. I want to close with uh, this article on a priest who became well-known uh, through the way that he lived out this pattern. His name was Father Damien. Uh, this is what it says. Father Damien was a priest who became famous for his willingness to serve lepers. Uh, lepers, this incurable skin disease that ultimately leads to the disintegration of your body until you wither away and you die. And he moved to Kalawao, a village on the island of Molokai in Hawaii that had been quarantined to serve as a leper colony. For 16 years, he lived in their midst. He learned to speak their language. He bandaged their wounds, embraced the bodies no one else would touch, preached to hearts that would otherwise have been left alone. He organized schools, bands, and choirs. He built homes so that the lepers could have shelter. He built 2,000 coffins by hand so that when they died, they could be buried with dignity. Slowly, it was said, Kalawao became a place to live rather than a place to die. For Father Damien offered hope. Father Damien was not careful about keeping his distance. He did nothing to separate himself from his people. He dipped his fingers into the poi bowl along with the patients. He shared his pipe. He did not always wash his hands after bandaging open sores. He got close. And for this, the people loved him. Then one day, he stood up and began his sermon with two words. We lepers. Now he wasn't just helping them. Now he was one of them. From this day forward, he wasn't just on their island. He was in their skin. First he had chosen to live as they lived. Now he would die as they died. Now they were in it together. And the author of this article goes on to say, One day God came to earth and began his message. We lepers. Now he wasn't just helping us. Now he was one of us. Now he was in our skin. Now we are in it together. My friends, hear the call of God that comes to you and says, I'm with you. And so go. I'll pour myself out for you so you can trust and pour yourself out for others. I'm with you in your difficulties. I'm with you in your marriage. I'm with you in your career. I'm with you in your schooling. I'm with you in your addiction. I'm with you in your struggles. I'm with you. And friends, may you have the wisdom to discern God's calling in your life, the courage to follow him wherever he leads, and the joy and the hope and the faith that comes along with receiving the blessing of the presence of God and pouring yourself out on behalf of others. And as we do, the world will never be the same. But you know what else? You'll never be the same. Let's pray together. Gracious God, we do pray now. Through this ancient pattern of your story, whether it's Abram or Jesus coming to call others to go, that we would have ears to hear your calling now. Lord, we cannot take a single step in a direction unless we can trust you. Help us to see that we can ultimately trust that you are the one who went on our behalf, who pours yourself out for us, who would never leave us or forsake us. And so we can go with courage, with confidence, in our failures, and in our strengths. But ultimately, it's your story. And so help us to trust that story now, that you are at work in this world, to receive your blessing and to be a blessing wherever we go. We pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.